those who are eagerly waiting for him. There ends the reading of God's word. Let us pray together. Merciful and mighty God, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy and your kindness towards us. We thank you so much that you have given us your word. And Lord, we do pray that as we now turn from the reading of your word, your holy word, to the preaching of your word, we pray for your blessing on it, Lord. We pray that we would truly, ultimately hear from you tonight. So send your Holy Spirit in a special way to help the preacher and give us all ears to hear and hearts to receive and the will to act upon that which we'll hear tonight. We come to you in the name of our Savior Jesus, with the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, all mankind has a major problem that we all share together, and that's rebellion against God. By our collaboration, you might say, indirectly as it may be with our first parents who rebelled against God. By nature, we're guilty sinners. And our biggest problem is rebellion against God and our being cut off from fellowship with him. According to God's nature, he is holy perfection. Holy perfection. He despises sin and he must and will punish sin. That combination puts mankind in a very dreadful state of being, doesn't it? Very dreadful state of being. No one can escape from God in this life, and we certainly won't in the next. But our problem is that we need our sin forgiven in order to be right with him, to be good with God, you might say. But our problem is also that I'm not sure that we quite grasp the true holiness of God. The purity of God, how offensive sin is to him, how great our rebellion against him actually is, and the measure of wrath that we deserve because of our rebellion against him. We don't see him for the holy God that he truly is. The other problem we have is that we don't easily see ourselves for sinners, the sinners that we are by nature. If you don't see yourself as a sinner tonight in need of the intervention of God to reconcile you to him, I'm not sure anything I say tonight will make any sense to you, and I can only pray that the Holy Spirit will open your eyes to not only see yourself as a sinner, but to see that there is a Savior for sinners like us. If you recognize sin, but you hope that you're going to be accepted by your value or your goodness or your works... Uh, or the simple kindness of God, without any qualifications, then you're mistaken. Can't measure up to God's holiness. His holiness is purer than we can imagine. You do need his mercy, but it's not mercy without his wrath being satisfied. His wrath must be satisfied. Then again, if you're thinking that you're too much of a sinner to be saved, Don't underestimate the power of God. Don't underestimate the power of the cross. But if you've trusted in Christ and you've surrendered your life to Christ, you know that you have hope because there's a mediator. You've trusted in the mediator between you and God. And tonight you're very thankful, I'm sure, that you know that mediator, Jesus Christ, and you know what he's done for you. And we're here tonight to commemorate that one act, that one act of sacrificial mediation that was done by Christ alone. 
We call it Good Friday. The events surrounding Good Friday speak to us about that sacrificial mediation of the person of Jesus Christ. One mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, whose graphic mediatorial work is displayed for us in Scripture. It's captured for us as foresight in the Old Testament. It's recorded for us in the Gospels. And it's referred to, it's hearkened back to constantly in the rest of Scripture. This passage in Hebrews tonight focuses on that mediatorial sacrifice that God made for us. It's his gracious solution that provides a way for us to be reconciled to him. It's the only way to have our overwhelming problem solved, the mediation that God provides. It's appropriate for us to speak about mediation tonight. That's what's happening on the cross. Mediators are basically go-betweens, usually to solve a conflict. You can picture two friends who are having a fight and a friend in between wants to bring them together and solve their problem. Or you might picture a mediator as someone standing before a judge defending someone, making a case for them, all kinds of mediators in a general sense. But in the Bible, mediation always had to do with someone who would be pleading before a holy God on behalf of the people. And that was sometimes simply done with prayer. Moses is a great example of a mediator who prayed and pled for God's people. But that mediation was clearly established in the priesthood, and that's a lot of what Hebrews is about, that priesthood that served as that mediation between God and man. And there always had to be a sacrifice, and there always had to be blood for mediation to remove and forgive sin. Writer of Hebrews says, "There's without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so we read about, in the Old Testament, all the beasts and all the priests and all the sacrifices and all the blood. And it's all symbolic and it's all temporary, but it's incomplete. The reality comes when Jesus comes. The reality and the permanence of it and the sufficiency of it and the way that it's accomplished comes when Jesus Christ comes the second person of the Trinity in human flesh, to be that mediator. And a sacrifice is still required, and blood is still required. We spent a lot of time last Sunday evening on the blood of Christ. Now we'll focus more on the mediation, the person of Christ. The absolute shocking thing in this part of Hebrews, the pivot point, is when we discover that The pivot point between the old and the new, the passing and the fulfillment, the temporary, the symbolic and the eternal, the sufficient and the insufficient, that pivotal point comes when we discover that that Jesus is that final sacrifice. That he is the priest that lays himself down. He is the one who has his bloodshed. He is the sacrificed lamb. That's the pivot point. That brings us to the gospel, the gospel all about the the second person of the Trinity, taking on human flesh. That's where we see it all come together. We look at the passion narratives. Very commonly, that period from the time Jesus prays in Gethsemane to the cross is called the passion, and 
The reason they use the word passion is because the original root of that word is suffering. But I think the passion itself is much deeper than just the suffering of Christ. I think the passion of Christ, in other words, what's behind his suffering, what the motive is, what's the driving force behind Jesus' suffering is our souls dying for us. His passion is to save us. The joy before him when he looked at the cross certainly was his glory and his restoration to heaven, but it was to save the likes of us as well. He's the man, when we get to it, he's the man on the middle cross. But he's not mediating between a repentant thief and an unrepentant thief. He's there mediating between you and me and a holy God. Realize we stand before a holy God and it's so critical for us to find ourselves standing before the cross. Because what we see in the cross is a fulfillment of prophecies like this. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We esteemed him not, or we esteemed him stricken, I'm sorry, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have turned astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's Isaiah. That's what we see in the cross. That's what we see in the passion. We see that, as Paul says, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That could not happen without sacrificial mediation on the part of Jesus Christ. It is the triune plan of God. It's the Son's willingness. It's the Father's will. Now, Jesus died for a multitude. We know that. Multitudes upon multitudes. But what I want you to do for a few moments tonight when we turn to the passion narratives is step out from the multitude and stand before the cross. And stand before the cross. And take it in. And see it yourself and see your, see your mediator there. In the passion of Christ, we see the hideousness of our sin. But we see the beauty of the love of Christ. And the beauty of the love of the Father. Before our very eyes, we see Christ portrayed as crucified. And what we see in the Gospels and what we are to enter into in the Gospels is that that physical wrath, the suffering that he bore, that was described in Hebrews. We see that. And so I want us to turn, first of all, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, just to give us some movement towards the cross. Jesus is arrested He's already been betrayed by Judas, Matthew 26, beginning in verse 66. The high priests are judging him. They've accused him of blasphemy. Verse 66, speaking to the council, what is your judgment? They answered, he deserves death. Then they spit in his face 
and struck him. And some slapped him, saying, prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? Chapter 27, first verse, when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death, and they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. And then same chapter, verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand and kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and they led him away to be crucified. There's your mediator. There's your mediator even before he gets to the cross, shedding blood on your behalf. Through his own tears, through being slapped and beaten with a club by a crown of thorns, and then by being scourged by a Roman scourge. That's your mediator. But now turn with me to Mark chapter 15, and we'll look a little closer at our mediator. Beginning in verse 21. Watch your mediator. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple. And rebuild it in three days. Save yourself and come down from the cross. So the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He can't save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross, that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James, the younger and of Joseph and of Salome. 
When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And we know that they were beating their breasts in mourning. And here we are standing, looking at our mediator, undergoing this very thing. Not seeing the way they saw, but through the account of the holy and errant word of God that is alive and speaking to us even now. That's what we see. That's what we see through the eyes of scriptures. What we don't see, I don't think we could ever really handle. What we don't see is the extent of his suffering the wrath of God in a spiritual way. Undergoing the full wrath of God to pay for an eternity of sins. Our sins. He had no sin. We don't see that. We don't see that deep soul anguish. We don't see that deep, deep burden on his emotional being. We don't see the agonizing pain of feeling a sense that he's cut off from his father. We don't see it, but we do hear it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So we do hear it. So what we do see is Christ bearing our sin but we can't see nearly nearly as deep as it really is. We couldn't bear to see it. Behold, this man on the cross is your mediator. And when we're standing there looking at the cross and the Christ, that's really who we're looking at we recognize what he's doing is all for sinner's sake. All for my sake. My sin. My betraying Judas kiss. My far more than three times denial of Christ. My pilot flippancy and real guilt. My murderous crucify him. That's what he's dying for. Every one of my sins. There he is willingly dying for me as my mediator. Bearing wrath for who I am and what I've done. That's what we see when we see Jesus on the cross. Mine, mine was the transgression, but thine the deadly pain. It might sound a bit dramatic, but the fact is that all of our sin, all of our grievous, offensive, condemnable sin is on Christ. We may not see the greatness of our sin. But when we look at the cross, we look at Christ on the cross. From even what we do see, we want to recoil when we're seeing the one who had no sin, as it were, become sin. That's what it looks like. And that's what the payment looks like for our sin. And that's what bearing the wrath that we deserve looks like. 
he's bearing the wrath that we, we can never endure. It is finished. Sin is atoned for. We know that Sunday's coming. But tonight we've seen Jesus Christ as publicly portrayed as crucified, and anything less than that falls short of the mediation that we need to be reconciled to a holy God. We've seen it tonight. I hope you've seen it. I hope you've seen it for yourself. You haven't seen it in a gruesome painting. You haven't seen it in a passion play or a TV series. You haven't seen it on a crucifix. You've seen it for what it is, a real historical and the most profound act in all of history, in all eternity, we might say. You've seen it through the living, powerful word of God, that eye-opening life-transforming word of God. And I trust that tonight it is further burned into your heart not the imagery but the very power of the cross. The mediation that satisfied for your sin. Reconciling you to a holy God now and forever. Let's pray. Lord, we pause tonight to consider the depths of your love in sending your Son, the depths of our Lord Jesus Christ's love for giving himself for our sake, even undergoing divine wrath in our place. We consider the love of the Holy Spirit warming our hearts, helping us to see our desperate need because we're sinners and helping us to see the glorious provision you've made in the Lord Jesus. We thank you for your infinite love. You sent your only begotten Son as a mediator for us bearing our shame, bearing our wrath, bearing all of our sins and transgressions, paying for them in full. Lord, were we without a mediator, we would have every reason to be terrified that we live and move and have our being in your presence now and that one day we will step into your presence and be there or not there forever. Lord, our God, we thank you for your mercy, your love, and your goodness. And we come to you in the name of the one who died for us, who was indeed dead, but who now lives and rules and reigns forever and ever, our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. It is fitting that tonight we come together, join together as God's people 
to take partake of the Lord's Supper, that meal that he instituted on the night that he was, or the night before he was betrayed and he went to the cross to die for our sins. We were just reminded through the preaching of the word that it is through the mediation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here, the words of institution from the Apostle Paul recorded from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. We hear the Apostle Paul gives us these words of institution. The Lord Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. It is a glorious covenant family meal. It is to be observed in remembrance of Christ. It is a meal to show forth his death until he comes again in glory. This meal is a means of grace, and it's given to us to strengthen us, to support us in trials and troubles. It is to stir us to righteousness. It is to inspire us in love and zeal, and it is to increase our faith and holy resolution against our fight against sin. This meal is not a Presbyterian meal only. It is a covenant meal, and all of God's people are welcome to take part of this glorious meal. All those who have been baptized, all those who have made a profession of public faith, who are Members in good standing are able to join together and partake of this meal. If you have confessed your sins before God and you have confessed your sins before your neighbor, then this meal is for you. However, the Apostle Paul here does exhort all of us to examine our faith, examine ourselves before God. And so if you have not done those things, if you have not made a profession, if you are not a member in good standing, then we ask that you would not partake of this meal, but rather contemplate your standing before the Lord. Think deeply of the preached word this evening and the somber reminder that Christ died for sinners and that you need a Savior Elders, will you come forward?
Let's pray together. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we praise your holy name. We thank you, O Lord, that we were exhorted this evening from your word. We were reminded of the great sacrifice of Christ Jesus, that he indeed is our mediator. We were reminded of our sin, and yet we were exhorted to look at our great Savior who died for our sins. And we thank you, O Lord, for your grace and your mercy upon us. We ask now, O Lord, that you would take these elements of bread and wine and that you would set them apart for your holy use. We ask that with them, you would unite us to Christ in a particular and special way by the power of your Holy Spirit, that he would bring us into the heavenly places where Christ sits at your right hand and rules and reigns, and that we might be nourished by him through the Holy Spirit. Give us this evening grace that we might be stirred up in our faith and devotion to you. We ask all this in the name of Christ Jesus, in the strength and power and help of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
This is the body of Christ, broken for you. Take and eat. And in the same manner, he also took the cup and having given thanks has been done in his name. He gave it to the disciples saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of Christ shed for you for the remission of your sins. Take and drink.
the grace of God in Christ Jesus in Christ Jesus was held forth in this sacrament as such may you walk in faith as we depart from one another let's pray gracious God and heavenly father we thank you again for Jesus Christ our lord who because of his status as mediator reconciled us to you so that we may join together with you and partake of this wonderful meal. Be with us as we depart from one another, we pray now in the name of Christ and the strength and help and power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, let's respond together by standing and singing When I Serve the Wondrous Cross, hymnal number 252. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing to his sight, 
through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, let us sing our last hymn, O Sacred Head Now Wounded, Trinity Hymnal number 247. <laughs>